skin care was a, was a concern. My hair was a concern. We changed my hair color so many times. And yet, my name and my likeness and my, my, my so-called story is what we were promoting. But it could not have been further from my story. Hello, and welcome to How to Fail Successfully, the podcast that teaches the steps to success through the stories of failures. I'm so happy that you can join me as I interview some of my favorite people and encourage them to share their story with you. I'm Matthew Carrier, and this is How to Fail Successfully. have to start out this episode with some lyrics from an old Britney Spears song. Now, before you turn off this episode, please understand that there's something powerful about what she was singing here. For those that know the song, I'm sure you will be singing it to yourself as I read you the lyrics out loud. Early morning, she wakes up. Knock, knock, knock on the door. It's time for makeup. Perfect smile. It's you they're all waiting for. They go... Isn't she lovely, this Hollywood girl? And they say, she's so lucky, she's a star. But she cry, cry, cries in her lonely heart, thinking, if there's nothing missing in my life, then why do these tears come at night? On today's episode, I'm in the studio with former touring artist and current author and entrepreneur, Ashlyn Huff. After spending time on the road touring with acts like Tori Kelly, Backstreet Boys, New Kids on the Block, and many, many others, Ashlyn shares stories of the harsh reality of life on a stage. I hope you enjoy this episode. Here's my conversation with Ashlyn. Ashlyn, can you kind of let us all know what you're doing? Who are you? What are you working on? Well... I do a lot of things, and I have done a lot of things, but um, currently I am a yoga instructor, a real estate agent for the past six years here in Nashville, and um, a writer. And recently I started a new company called The Piecemeal Shop, which is um, handmade items that are very Nashville and left of center. (laughs) That's really all I can say about it. Yeah, they're great. Thanks. They're really cool. She brought me in some postcards. Mm-hmm. And that you, you hand write them, right? Yes, I designed them. So I started out. Um, I didn't think I was going to be a graphic designer at all. I actually learned everything I do in the shop last year, in this past year. So if you're ever wondering if you can do anything, if you just have an idea, that really is all that it takes. But I started drawing. I always had, I always liked my handwriting, and I learned. I I taught myself how to do calligraphy and things like that. But I just played around with it, and then I started doodling. And yeah, I had some good ideas in terms of the words. And so I started to just kind of develop that. It, it, it started from nothing. It started from a need. So That's awesome. And we'll kind of get into that a little bit math. later. But let's go back to little Ashlyn. Okay. I'm still 5'2". <laughs> Littler. Littler. <laughs> <laughs> so you were an artist, mm-hmm. a touring artist. Yes. Can you kind of walk us through what got you to that point? Yes. Okay. So um, I did not grow up wanting to be one, which is very different from, I find, most people. Um, unlike most artists, I uh, was afraid of singing from the very get-go. And part of that was that I was a dancer and I felt very comfortable in, in front of people. Um, 
But I'd never opened my mouth, obviously. And also, never mind the fact that my dad was a producer and had all the musicians in and out of our house my entire life. So when you have someone like a, literally, Leanne Rhymes coming through who only needs one take to get everything out, um, and you're not confident in your voice, you, you know you have like a talent because you can hold a pitch and your whole family's a, a music family. It makes sense. But you're like, well, I'm not that. So there's just no way that I will be ever to, I'm a dancer. So I just really identified with dancer and I was, um, I was good at that and I was passionate about it. So dancing got me into Pro Tools um, because I started noticing that whoever was doing our music had absolutely no timing, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which my body was unable to handle. Mm -hmm. Um, I would stop and my dance teacher would look at me like, what's wrong? And so I asked her when I was 13 if I could take it home to my dad and and fix it. And so I took it home, we started, uh, that's when Pro Tools was very, very new. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, hey, can you fix this for me? And and by like, I don't know, the the third or fourth week, he said, okay, this music sucks. So I'm gonna need (laughs) to teach you, um, you know what you're doing, you know where, like I I was literally pointing at this spot um, in the sound wave where I wanted to cut. So he said, if if you get a small rig, a Pro Tools rig, then I will pay for half of it. You will pay for the other. And then you can do this on your own and I never have to listen to it again. <laughs> True story. And so I became a Pro Tools whiz at 13 um, for dance purposes only. That got me interested in more of the lyrics because I was trying to make good. Uh, I did all the music for the dance studios around town. Um, so I, I my way into music was different, even though... I don't know, like listening to music, listening to what I was dancing to, I really got involved in what was being said and I cared a lot. That got me into songwriting. Um, when you said you did, you did the music for yeah. the studios, do you mean like you were like mixing yes. songs together? Yes, editing music, editing making music. compilations. Okay. Um, uh, if they were just, because you know, like with, with dance, you really need to be dynamic. Mm-hmm. So getting uh, the the music to where it would cut out the bridge or it would cut out the, the second pre-chorus or you go straight you, you, you skip the solo because you really need it to end. Um, they can only be a certain amount of time, so I would just make a, an edited version for them or you know add in different songs. So you started writing lyrics? Yeah. I started writing other people's lyrics first. Okay. Um, literally, I would just like to write them in my journal. Okay. Uh, I started writing a journal when I was ni- uh, in my ninth grade year on a trip, a school trip, and I have yet to stop. But I just like the idea of this is silly, but it works. So if you're like, I don't have anything to say, Start writing other people's lyrics down. It's amazing how much it, like you start to connect with it. You mean like other people's song lyrics? Yeah. Write them all in I, your own journal. Yes, okay. I wrote them, the ones that meant something to yeah. me. So I saw them on my own paper in my own handwriting and I started connecting with it even more because it seems when you hear it um, and when you sing to it or, or hear it or dance to it, or whatever, it's a totally different feel. When you write it down, if you want to be a writer, and I so wanted to be a writer well before I wanted to sing. Okay. Um, I knew that. I didn't know I knew that, but now that I look back, I, I was very clear. Um, I would so, so desperately wanted something to say, and I had nothing to say at that point. Um, so I started writing other people's lyrics down. And through that, the gift of singing was the last thing that I even took, took it um, seriously. But then I uh, went to Belmont. I had a very messy breakup, and I was, uh, instead of uh, alcohol or drugs, I said to my dad, which is the big deal for me, I want to write a song. And he said, okay. So we wrote a song, and that was the end of that. That was the point where I decided, okay, I jumped over this hoop because my dad's not the type of guy who is a stage parent. Um, He is the anti-stage parent. He's way too 
honest. And mm-hmm. so because I had never asked, I didn't know what the answer was going to be. I didn't know if he thought I had what it took. Did you ask him that question or you just said, I want to be a singer? No, I never actually said that either. Okay. Um, I just said, I want to write a song. Okay. Um, he knew I was in a, ba- a pretty sad place at the time. And so um, I did not ask anything about that. I think I asked later when it was already clear I was headed down that path. I think I asked him something. I, I remember it was in the kitchen. Like, I mean, do you think I can do it? And he's, I was like just shaking. Like, he's such a nice human being, but he does not mince words when it comes to that. I've heard it countlessly tell other people, you're not ready yet. And he had told me that so much, like with my writing, he said, Ashlyn, you have nothing to say yet. You'll get there. Um, that was back when I was younger. That's when I started writing other people's lyrics down because I knew I wanted to do that. And so I was like, please, please, please say yes. <laughs> and he did. He said, I think you, this is what he told me. I think you can do it. I think you have exactly what it takes. I don't know if you will want to. Mm. And I was like, crap. <laughs> do you ever figure out why he said that? Yes, because he was the same person. Okay. He said, I did it. I was good at it. But it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do because he, and, and the thing was touring that he said, you are a homebody just like I am. You will create, you will do things. Um, and I said, well, of course, because I'm, I'm an obedient child. I was like, well, do you think I should not go for this? And he said, um, no, I think you should because you'll never know and I will not be the person to tell you not to try. And so I had his permission I could, and I'm um, a daddy's girl. Also, he is one of the people you want to listen to. Mm-hmm. He told me I couldn't be in a in a in a Christian group when I was little, um, and I was so pissed, <laughs> so pissed because I could dance and sing and I could do it at the same time. It was called uh, Jump Five. It was like a Christian group here, and, and they were on the Disney Channel, on the Lizzie McGuire show, things like that. Um, and I, they asked me to audition for it, and I was like, perfect. This is like my wheelhouse. Like I can do all these things. Even though I don't want to sing, like, whatever. Um, so he said no to the Jump 5 group. Yes. And ha- they were already a group at this time, or they were developing? They were developing. Okay, so you would have been one of the members. Mm-hmm. There's four members, right? Five. Or jump, there's five. Jump 5. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, there eventually were four, because one of them left. But okay, yes. so I was only familiar with them when they were four. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Libby left, yeah. So he had said no before, but not because of that, but because he said, you need a childhood. You need to go to speech class. You need to be like in these moments. Um, and I was so mad, but I understood and I believed him. So when I was finally at this place where I asked him about s- singing professionally and going for a record deal, I was ready for him to say no again, mm-hmm. I guess. And I really wanted to try this time. Even though I'd gone to Belmont to do music business, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be in music and be around these people. I had grown up in the studio, take, doing my homework at the studio. I just feel myself in the studio with my dad. And we don't even have to be talking. I just like to be in the presence of all the creativity and the, the production, things happening. So um, he said what he said, which is, yeah, you can do this, but I don't know if you'll want to. So I had the permission and I went for it. And part of me was like, prove him wrong, prove him wrong, prove him wrong. And I was like, other part was like, shoot, shoot, shoot. He's probably right again. But I did go for it. I got a record deal by accident. I know that sounds really silly, but it's a real thing. Um, I was at a Titans game in a box and someone asked me what I was doing. And I had just started writing um, a more, rec- like a, taking it seriously. And so she said, well, send it to me. 
And I was like, okay, you know, just thinking that's fine. And then the next thing I know, I get a call. I'm on the corner of Woodmont and Belmont Boulevard. I remember exactly where I was. And she said, actually, Charlie is um, starting a record label. And he was the distributor for Walmart at the time. At the time when, you know, when when CDs were still a thing, they were starting to go out. Um, Walmart was the biggest distributor. They, I think they kind of put um, Backstreet Boys on the map here in, in the U.S. Okay. Because if you wanted to get your music sold, especially after all the record stores stopped, Walmart was one of the only places still. Gotcha. Um, so they were going to start a record label, and they liked me for to be, to be their first artist. And I was like, wait, what? You know, so um, showing up to a Titans game really paid off. Well, and that's, you know, that's a perfect example of mm-hmm. preparation, mm-hmm. meeting opportunity. Right. Which and some oops. call luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you were you were ready for it. And I you was. had the opportunity and therefore you were rewarded for that. And do you know what I was doing in this box? Eating not, hot dogs. Not watching the game. <laughs> of course not. Um, I was writing a Carol King paper for my music history class. <laughs> So that's awesome. <laughs> Mark Volman all the way. As after you were signed mm-hmm. to this deal, what happened after that? Once I was signed, well, I, I graduated early from Belmont to in order to um, to sign this deal because I, I, I knew I would want that. Um, my dad had taught me that at least. And so I graduated early December of 2007 and we started negotiating it so during that time I was just writing I was uh, traveling I went to LA I got my first cut this is so funny because I just ran into this girl I got my first cut ever on a Pussycat Dolls doll doll domination album uh, which is so me with uh, Stephanie Fair who is Ron Fair's wife Uh, Ron was the head of Interscope at the time and then someone here um, from Nashville Tommy Lee James so I had gone on like a week trip out there uh, I did a couple, you know, just I went to Sweden twice uh, randomly to to write with this guy named Matthias Volo. Um, so I was just in, in the like writing and yeah. recording mode, figuring out what the sound is exactly we're going for. We finally, finally get um, onto like the actual, they had to build this, this, this is the first time they'd ever had a record contract in this for this new company. So they had to build it from scratch. So that took a long time. Okay. Uh, there was no boilerplate for this record label. So while waiting for that, working and, and, and writing, and then um, then the record was made. Um, and then we got on to uh, touring. And I think I went on, my first tour was with, uh, was um, of course, Walmart. Mm-hmm. We did yeah. a Walmart parking lot tour. I think, were you, did you come? I did go to one. No, we had a whole group that showed up to oh, that. Oh, my God. It was in Santa Clarita. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. so that was the first one at the time. So touring there, and then we got I got onto a... Um, a tour with Honor Society, which is a boy band type thing. They were in the Jonas camp. So the next tour was the Jonas group, um, Honor Society tour. And then I, th- um, Tori, what was her name? Tori? Kelly? Kelly. Yeah, she was on it too. Okay. Um, and so then, Honor Society, Jonas Brothers. Jonas wasn't on it. It was the Jonas group. That was one of their the people. Ch- yeah, they, they had toured with Jonas before. Okay, okay. They were a part of their... Uh, the Jonas Group, okay. like the, their company, I guess. So I got on that, and then after that, J- Jordan Sparks, and then after that, the grand finale, um, New Kids and Backstreet. Yeah. So it kept going like up, but well, um, yeah. You know, and I, I kind of know a little bit of these stories. If you could share, what was life like on the road? You're a homebody. Yes. You have told me that you had some struggles with 
your what was required of you to be an artist? Um, I wish I could say I lived for every moment. I wish I could say that I could not wait to get onto state onto the stage every night, but that would be a lie. Being an artist requires you to be a product, uh, not a human being. And luckily I had gone to college. The reason I even mentioned any of the things I did before was to show that I had a lot of normal time to figure out who I was. I went through the regular life before I got on the road. That still did not prepare me for what I was about to feel about myself. Um, The minute, and guys too, but guys can get away with it. You can, it can be like attractive to roll in with your hair like under a hat. For a girl, it's just not that way. And you're talking to a girl who does not do her own hair and makeup. I'm not wearing makeup. You can't see me right now, but you can corroborate, Matthew, I look. That's why we're doing audio only. Yes. <laughs> um, but that's not an option when you're an artist. You, it's not like endearing. It's it's um, lazy and not professional. So I already am out of my, my comfort zone. I'm already in a hair and makeup chair for like six hours a day collectively, which is so not me. Um, nothing prepared me to feel like I was not myself ever. Um, and yet my name and my likeness, and my, my, my so-called story is what we were promoting. Um, but it could not have been further from my story, is my point. My nail beds were a concern. My um, skin care was a, was a concern. My hair was a concern. We changed my hair color so many times. You don't and get... And was it was a concern, not to you, but to the people, to, my management, to your management, to yeah. what they were looking for. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I would get emails. And this is just this is just what it is. This is not right or wrong. This is just, you are a product. You are not... It's not like, well, how do you feel about this? It's like, no, this is how it comes off, and therefore we must tackle it. When I was on the road, I felt disconnected from anything, everything, because you are surrounded by people all the time. Like so many people, I've never been more alone. It's so lonely on the bus, even with 14 people on it. My first tour uh, on on a bus was with 14 to 16 people. I had another girl with her band on there, and I was sick most of the time, um, literally and figuratively. But I I was just so I I am a homebody, and I love my bunk. Like I felt really good in that. But when I would get off the bus, I just felt like a I didn't belong. I, I can, I can rough it like the best of them. Like I, I don't need the comforts of home, as in um, the best bed ever. Like I can really do all the physical stuff, but I just didn't feel like myself. And I really don't know how to explain that other than I missed the people in my life who treated me like I had a soul. When it's your job. I guess it just changes. Nobody on the road was rude. Nobody on the road made me feel like I wasn't a human being. No one treated me poorly. It just still wasn't there. There was some disconnect. And when it's your job to be an artist, you just lose a sensibility that you get when you're at home. You can't curl up and just hang out. You're always on. It's a 24 hours a day job and seven days a week job. And um, everything's up for discussion. What you say in between songs, it was up for discussion. 
And by the way, I, I'm a talker, and sometimes I don't know exactly what I want to say, but then someone gave me what I'm supposed to say, and then I did exactly that. I obeyed. And then when we got off, he was like, that didn't sound that didn't sound good. I was like, yeah, because they were your words. <laughs> like, you literally, you sound great saying that, but... That's not me. That's not me, yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know if I've told anyone this, but I, at the Sheridan Hotel, some, some random place, my last tour, I took out a piece of the paper that they put next to the phone um, for messages or whatever, and I wrote how many days, like 20, 19, 18, all the way down, I probably started at 40, though, and every morning the first thing I did was make an X. Just 40 more days till you get to go home. Wow. And that was my favorite part of the day because it was the, it was like I see the end of this tunnel, and I'm, I was so afraid. I think this is another thing. I was so afraid of my voice going again, and it constantly would go out. So I'd live, I lived in fear every morning. The first thing I would do is make an X, and then I would see I would do my little like vocal warm up really quickly just to see where it'll stop, because I sang really high, I sang really loud, and um, I-, I swear it was like God was saying I gave you these gifts, but there's a p- there's a good possibility I didn't mean for you to do it professionally altogether. Dancing, singing, writing is great, but maybe this is not what I meant, you know. And by the end of that last tour, I thought, okay, I hear you. Which is really sad because that means I have to let people down. That means I have to um, explain it. Mm. Explaining is the hardest part now uh, because people just don't see how that part of the, your life, when you look, when you Google the life and you see the videos and you see all the things that you get to do, it just seems that's what they see. But the leading up to it, like you would never see that the day I was on the Ellen show, I had taken a, I guess, a horse pill of a, um, antibiotic one of my dancers had strep throat we were leaving for the tour two days and I was going to do Ellen right before we left I was so excited took the pill that morning ate a muffin didn't eat enough apparently threw up immediately and I thought I was just nervous I'm going on Ellen today um when really I popped a blood vessel in my vocal cords that morning when I threw up and I was like okay great so I'm rolling up into the Warner Brothers studio in like fetal position because when you if you take a vitamin without food or if you take like an antibiotic without enough food it like rips your stomach like it feels like someone's clenching your stomach and it was so painful and I didn't know what was going on at the time I thought it was just me so um, I go into the um, the 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 dressing room and I'm like curled up on the couch and um, not to throw anyone under the bus but my manager came in and was like what are you doing and I told him, and he was like, um, what if they come in here? Like, he was worried about how someone else was going to see me curled up on the couch. And I was like, uh, do you want me to throw up here? Or do you want me to throw up on the stage in my sound check? And, and that was a moment I was like, oh, my gosh, I have no privacy. I have mm-hmm. nothing here. Um, and I also don't know what the heck happened. And by the way, I have no time to recover no matter what it is. So just living in fear of, of nothing ever working out was like my life on tour. And so I did go to the, I went to the doctor bef- between the, the sound check and the actual show. And they said, yeah, you popped a blood vessel in your vocal cords. <laughs> I'm like, sweet. <laughs> of course I did. So uh, they put a drop of adrenaline on it. The best vocal coach ever, or the, uh, the, the best uh, voice doctor ever in Beverly Hills. And he said, oh, we do this all the time. It'll be fine by showtime. Yeah, of course it wasn't for me. Um, 
I was afraid to push it. I didn't have time. I didn't have any room to to mess up. And when I left that day, um, I was so unhappy with what I how I had performed. It was my first time to do this choreography, um, and I was wearing heels that I had never worn before the before that day, and. Also, my voice just—I I just was so nervous that I—I I, I of course just didn't live in the moment. And so when I left, we left the parking lot, and there was like this—I remember it. I remember all these moments so well. I wish I didn't, but my manager said that wasn't good, and I said, "I know. I don't need you to help me with that one. Thank you." And I left, and I was like, "I—it's just so defeating." Because I, I'm already hard on myself, but when other people are always telling you, um, he meant well, he was doing his job, but that's a problem. Art became my job. There was no art to it left. Um, my job was to be perfect and sound like a record every day, which, by the way, is not possible. Unless you're John Mayer, I swear. <laughs> I swear he, like, can do it. But dancing and singing is no joke, and I couldn't. I, I couldn't, I, I think my body just was not prepared. And I definitely felt that from the very beginning. You had to have the conversation that you were getting out of being an artist. Actually, they had it with me. Oh, they had it with you. I had options. Okay. I didn't take them. Um, so I'm in, about to perform at the Phillips Arena in, in Atlanta for the New Kids Backstreet Boys tour. And... We had just done Nashville the night before, so I had just seen my family. I was in a good place, I think, at that time because I was like kind of rejuvenated a little bit. That meant, and my voice held up, which is also like, <laughs> thank God. And I still had staples to do in in Nashville, where you're from. Yeah, everything went well. Everything went well, good. except for the, the the stage thing where um, <laughs> I told uh, just to, to recap the hydraulics in the stage for New Kids and Backstreet had not been reset properly. So when I walked out on stage in the pitch black and everyone's already screaming, it's like, we're ready to go. Yeah. I noticed out of the corner of my eye with, I don't even know what, um, I noticed that something was wrong and I looked at the stage and there were like all these pieces that are sticking up and I have four dancers who are going to die if I don't <laughs> tell them. So I'm yelling, the stage is uneven, the stage is uneven. And um, luckily they didn't turn my mic on yet. <laughs> Because that would have been the first thing everyone at my hometown heard. And it was a little higher pitch than that. Um, but I'm not going to kill your sound system here. <laughs> uh, the, the show went very well. So I was in high spirits. I was feeling good. And um, then I'm, at, I'm in Phillips Arena the next day, I think in catering. Yeah. And I get a phone call from my label. And I'm just like, well, hey, guy, you know, like answering, just figuring I'm just going to give updates. And they're like, hey, we need to talk right now. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, in a nutshell, the the conversation went, okay, things aren't changing. Like we could not figure out um, the radio deal. Um, the guy in Nashville, who's no longer in Nashville, and I'm not going to name names because it's not important, but he had promised to, to play my single white flag. We had gone through back and forth, and he said, just give me a couple more weeks. Just give me a couple more weeks. And right at this time, Lady Gaga just come out with um, Born This Way. Um, Womanizer, I think, was out. TikTok was out. And Firework, Katy Perry, was out. 
So it was a, you know, good, good, fun amount of women who are out here. And, and I don't I don't match any of them. So it actually was a fine fit. But he was like, I definitely am going to play this. It's going to happen, whatever. Just give me. He told my radio team, just give me a couple more weeks. We never played it. And everyone in Clear Channel was waiting for him to play it. And so because he kept on saying he was going to, we were able to say, yeah, like this guy's going to do it. Um, he never did it. And I, I, this is going off on a tangent, but I called him up and I, I got kind of reprimanded for that. I just wanted to know why, because it didn't make sense. Uh, everything was riding on him playing the song and he didn't. So fast forward, that kind of ruined my entire career. Was that phone call or mm, him not playing him the Him not playing the song. Gotcha. Yeah. And so fast forward, this is I'm already past. That was earlier in the tour that I made that phone call. It was in Connecticut. Um, on a day off yep and so this is in Atlanta and it's a little bit better uh, time I'm like just I'm, I'm nearing the end my little sheet of paper is starting to dwindle and I'm in good spirits I feel good my, I'm a little bit healthier and I, I just haven't sucked yet in a while <laughs> so I'm like yay okay uh, and they say hey this thing this thing's not working and I'm like what's not working and they said we you know if if this doesn't uh, change in the next two months we're closing up shop and I was like oh my god I'm literally got, about to play an arena show at Phillips Arena I'm about to do Staples next week uh, what and why would you call me today right now could this not have waited <laughs> and, and said, unless you have any other ideas okay I my one of my best friends lived in Atlanta at the time and she came she was like about to get there and I just had this phone call and she got there and I I'm sure I like played it off because that's what you do but inside I was falling apart wondering like okay I've been doing this for the past three years I've been killing myself to do this and now I have to finish out this tour knowing that I'm gonna have to make a lot of changes in my life and I'm about to have to explain it to everyone and that was my biggest fear honestly is explaining why this isn't working or underneath all that why I don't want to do it anymore anyway and that was the moment where I figured out this is the biggest gift I've ever gotten Mm. I didn't feel that way that day because I was just embarrassed yeah I was ashamed and I had worked my butt off so much and this is what was happening so that moment was the end the beginning of the end I called my dad the next day. I think we had a day off in uh, Lafayette and I think, yeah, in Louisiana somewhere. And I spent my whole day off calling my dad and saying, like, what do I do with this information? And what am I going to do next? And I just, I'm a planner. So I wanted to know, like, exactly what I was going to do. By the way, I still had, like, eight shows left. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he's he of course was really helpful. Like, do you want to continue? Because at the time I figured I did. Yeah. Because I'm I'm loyal to whatever I choose. Like I'm going to prove myself to be worthy, and so. Um, but that was that was really the end. Uh, as weird as that sounds, you never see that coming. And then um, I had a phone. I had a conversation with him when I got off tour. I went came back to Nashville for a little bit. I was so happy. At this point, I lived in L.A. and I hated living in L.A. because it was so far away from my family. Um, my home base was not home, you know, and, and that was kind of like, of course it's not. Like the, the, the icing on the cake was that I never got to see the people who, uh, who really loved me, who saw me before I saw me. 
So my dad said, hey, quick quick question. What do you love the most? Do you love uh, dancing, singing, or writing? And I quickly said, writing. And he said, well, that was easy. And that's the moment I was okay with this decision. That's when, when they offered me like another alternate route to another label. I said, thank you, but no thank you. So you assume that you're like all... Um, like what what path I I assumed the path I chose I had to stay on but then I got permission to get off of the the, the bus literally (laughs) (laughs) and uh that was my dad again so thanks dad he's stupidly always right so that transition transitioned you into writing a book yeah as soon as I got off the road I was thrilled and scared and um mad at music because I no longer enjoyed it. And one thing you told me, I'm going to jump in for one second, yeah. which I, I loved. You said, I always loved singing. Mm-hmm. I hated being an artist yeah. or, or shall I say a performing artist? Yes. Yes. Like I, I love the, the feeling that I felt when I sang. Yes. I hated having to be on stage and perform yeah. f- that wasn't myself. Yeah. You weren't allowed to let anybody know that you had asthma. Correct. So you had to pretend like you didn't have asthma. Yeah, with the little red doohickey that I just placed by the drum set. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Don't look behind the drum set. Uh, there was there was this idea that I needed to be a a, hum, um, a human. Like definitely show people who you are. That is the, that's the, the lovely part of you, Ashlyn. But don't tell them X, Y, and Z because they don't need to know that. And I was like, but but I can't breathe. You know, so what do I do with this information? I think I was in Philly at a radio station, one of the biggest ones. And um, I was like just making a joke in the elevator. We weren't even on the air. We weren't even talking like we were just candid. And I said something about my asthma or maybe I took out my inhaler. I don't know what I did, but I got reprimanded for that. Not in a like you're, you're doing something so wrong, but it was like, hey, probably shouldn't mention that. And I remember being like... I am having to censor myself so much, which is ironic because I ended up marrying a person I had to censor myself in front of too. But it felt wrong. Something was wrong with that because I thought, well, what if I had asthma? I mean, I did. But what if someone, if I'm a kid or I'm someone listening to this and I know that this artist has problems breathing too. Maybe when you have asthma, by the way, it's like the, the most normal thing you just can't do, breathing. It's, it's very defeating. <laughs> and so what, what if I knew that someone, one of my favorite songs was written or was written and performed by someone who had the same ailment I had? Yeah. Um, to me, that's empowering. But for some reason, it, that was why I got into music. That's why I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be somebody, not a perfect specimen, but somebody who was a real person. And all these other artists had like this, this shtick, like they had what they wore and everything. It was more of like a, a commodity and, um, and, and a novelty or a character or however you want to say it. I wanted to be real. And here I was being told, yes, be real, be you, like bring yourself to the table. And then, but, but don't say this, but don't say that either. And so I started questioning like what I could say. So now I'm hesitating every time I talk. And you know how much you lose yourself in that when you're like, but filter 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 okay yes hi like before I said hi I'm questioning if I should say hi or not because I'm afraid that I'm gonna say it in the wrong way that doesn't reflect the artist version of me which they by the way should be one and the same they you should be able to get you should get to be yourself if you're putting your name and your likeness I was putting my name 
Ashlyn Huff, not changing it. It wasn't a Gaga thing. Like I wasn't being my full on given name. And yet I was not able to be Ashlyn very often. I want to come back to the book. Yeah. You made a comment. You said you had to censor yourself around your husband. Yeah. What does that mean? Um, when I got married, I was a broken person when I got married first, um, first and foremost, because I was reeling from identity crisis all the way around. I had uh, been uh, broken down by my time on the road, but even more so before that. I just, I was always trying to be someone I wasn't because I was always trying to be someone that someone wanted to back up further um, and not to go off into a sad place. But uh, I I told you about this, but I was, um, uh, my virginity was taken by my boyfriend when I was 19 and it was not my choice. And so that painted the picture of being someone else for the longest time. I think I met you right after this happened um, at Belmont. So that painted the story. I was always trying to outrun that shame. That was the ultimate goal. I didn't know it at the time. I was just trying to survive. But everything from that point forward, from 19 through when I met uh, my, or when I first started dating my husband at, when I just turned 24, 25, it was trying to, to, to be worthy. So when you're trying to be worthy and you don't actually believe you are, you reflect that in your mate. I reflected that quickly with my um, now ex-husband. And... I thought I was a broken toy and I, um, one you just wouldn't play with, but he seemed to be okay with it. And so therefore here it was, I was like, okay, finally, I'd had a series of terrible relationships and this one, um, seemed to be better. You know, you're not an alcoholic check. You're not, uh, um, you, you, you seem to want to spend time with me. Okay, good. Let's get married. Um, and, but as time went on, I was also told not to say this or that or not to be open about this or that or don't tell anyone that you um, that your that your boyfriend when you were 19 um, took advantage of you in his dorm room and that you didn't say anything and didn't participate but also didn't um, say no so why can't I say that I asked well and this is the worst answer you could ever give a, a, a woman much less your wife what would that say about me and I was like, that you're a hero, maybe, for choosing a girl who, I don't know, like, I think it makes you sound like a good guy. And he was not interested in that. So I, that paint, that, like, what I couldn't say, I couldn't even be honest about something that I'm actually finally okay with. I didn't tell anyone about this. And that was why I wrote my first song, by the way, when I called my dad. I was so sad that I thought, well, at least I can write about it. Even though I'm not going to say anything about what happened, I'm not going to tell my parents for five more years. Um, I'm going to try to channel this energy into something positive. And so when I'm when you when you meet someone, if you're if you are married and you have a great marriage, I I am very happy for you. And I I wish I had had that. But if you are contemplating whether the right person is right in front of you, um, see if you can be yourself, and if you are applauded for for reaching deep down or if you have you feel like you have to mince your words and you have to second guess yourself because if it's the second one get the heck out of there uh as much as you I didn't want to hear that um I I would never want to hear that again but it's it's just not worth it so most of the things I said um their family is a big secret keeping family they don't talk about things that are hard um uh, it's just easier just to move forward and so anything I had was not 
up for grabs, even if it was my own. That's that's what the, what irritated me the most is like I can understand you not wanting me to talk about your family. And I, by the way, I wasn't walking around talking about people. <laughs> I don't do that, but like in a in a personal conversation, talking about what's going on in my life. Like I had to, his his was off limits, even though now it's my family or now whatever. But once I realized that he meant that I couldn't talk about my own life prior to him being in it, that no, I no longer owned my own story. He had the rights to it all. How that happened, I don't know. But I let him do it. And because it was easier, there were too many fights to be had. And this is one that I just was like, okay, fine. So I started writing more. And I started writing a book. And um, even in my book, I had to censor some of the stuff I said because I knew he would know and so would his family know that I was talking about them and so it's it's a it's a terrible way to live when you have to censor yourself at all that doesn't mean walk around yelling at people uh, screaming obscenities like censoring meaning you can't trust your own words and your own thoughts and you can't tell the people in your private life about how you actually feel and that should definitely be your husband there is something to be said about um, safety and not just physical. I had no safety in my marriage. I couldn't even have a thought without feeling guilty about it. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah. Your book's called Falling Stars. Yeah. What is it about? Falling Stars is a little bit about um, me, but it's... It's rolled up into a, a life I grew up in, in the music industry, and also my friend Meredith. The premise is, or the, the question I wanted to answer was, what happens to those like child stars? I'm, I wasn't one, but I knew them. What happens, like, Leanne Rimes parlayed her, her child stardom into a, an adult relationship. I mean, relationship. An adult. <laughs> Career. <laughs> Career. <laughs> it's kind of a relationship. <laughs> Please don't don't laugh, Ashlyn. You'll use your inhaler. Um, okay, so you're, you're allowed to use your inhaler. On thank you. Show. It's in yeah. my pocket. Okay. So. Um, what happens when you don't do that? Like, because a lot of novelty acts fall off after a couple songs. But those people were th- those those artists were ridiculously talented at an early age. They're prodigies. They they didn't lose their talent when the career ended or their early career ended. So what happens to those? those uh, now adults, when they become an adult, they, they still have the talent. So that's where this, this book starts with this girl named um, Lila Carson. And she lives in Mobile. She was discovered at 12 in Mobile. She moved to Nashville, had a huge hit because it just kind of, you know, that things like that happen. And then she fell out the next single. Oh, by the way, the radio station didn't play it. My literal conversation with the program director it's is a, in the book. Is in the book <laughs> for with a twelve year old, but yeah. Um, so what happens to those kids? They have to return to life. Like life is so different, and and so it starts when she's seventeen, decides that she's going to forego college and move back to Nashville and try again. So it's it's about music business, but it's it's more of a personal story, um, like a you know like a regular novel, cool. a girl trying to find herself and what it looks like after. Uh, how how many years of being normal rejecting and being super ashamed and embarrassed of the fact that you used to be music she decided that lila decided she was never going to i identified with this in a big way never going to do music again because it burned her so badly and it was so embarrassing to think about it so when she just when she sings one national anthem which is also a true story 
the national anthem part, not what I felt about music, but she kind of got hooked back into it. And she realized, oh, I miss this. And so she decided, hey, I'm going to uh, disobey my pastor dad and um, and go back to Nashville with my, my, my best friend, who is a character of okay. her own. So she it navigates like having to come back to Nashville. I had her live in my best friend's apartment building that I sold. It was my first sale in real estate. So like I, I brought a lot of myself into it. And then my friend Meredith is from Mobile. I went down to Mobile, stayed with their family for a while. So those people are real. Um, her family's real. It's really this is a big book. Yeah, she I, gave me a copy of it when she came in. This is a big book. Thank you. That's a lot of words. <laughs> thank you. Actually, that's edited down. <clears throat> you have a lot to say, don't you? Yeah, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Every podcast episode, I like to ask two questions. Okay. And I think it's really important for me to understand, uh, and for our listeners to understand, that everyone has a different definition of failure and a different definition of success yeah so for you what is your definition of failure oh this is a really good question I thought failure was everything I just talked about I thought failure was not getting what you originally thought was going to happen what you pictured what you dreamed about what you mentally like just saw in your in your in your head what was going to come out of whatever decision you made now I think because up until recently and I told you like I've been I've been on a really long road of recovering from this divorce but now on the other side of that uh, mountain I see failure as the opportunity of a lifetime failure is not like I would never have told you any of these things I would never put it out there I would never talk ill, speak ill of my manager, even because I love him. But these things happened, and um, and I, I've always been try. I've always tried so hard to make sure that nobody is 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 uh, brought down by anything negative, because I, I don't want them to think I'm not grateful. So my failure has been kept in my inside for the longest time, and now I realize it's not a failure because other people speak about it, and I find it inspiring. So now that I can see that, my, my so-called failure is actually inspiring and um, it inspires me. I think it is the opportunity that you, you need to have. It's awesome. Yeah. What about success? This, that, that's a harder one because... Um, what does success mean to you? Now... Success yeah. is something that resonates. It's not about a number. It's not about. Um, can I go back a little bit? Uh, you can say whatever you want. Okay. In my marriage, success was money. Um, he's a business guy. He's really good at it. I have to give him credit. He's very good at it. But anything I would take on, like writing this book, um, it was like if it didn't like bestseller like immediate all those things it wasn't worth it and I felt that and um but now and I I didn't adhere to it like that's what my expectation was it was just like please God let this happen so that I can so that I can not have a conversation about it not being successful or why or what did you do wrong or things like that or question myself in that in that way I I learned how to do it on my own I didn't need anyone else to question me at a certain point in the marriage and it wasn't all him. It was some of it was me. It was just my natural interest instinct to question at this point. 
But now success is something that actually comes from within. So success is finding it. Success is not actually doing anything about it. That's just a bonus. Success is saying, I have an idea for a stupid postcard. I don't know how to use any Adobe anything. Okay, well, I'm going to try. Um, and now I someone asked for it. Okay, now I'm going to have to find a printer. Okay, now I'm selling it. And now they're in the Bridgestone Visit Music City shop. So that would be like the typical success. But it started from the success of like, well, why the heck not? Mm-hmm. Let me just see. That is success. Everything else is just congratulations. It worked out for you. It's, it's just a visual version of success. But success is figuring out right now that if you have a need, if you really want to do something and you feel it from within, not because someone says so, not because someone says this is what it should look like. Success is knowing what you want to do and just trying it out. What is the name of your company? The Piecemeal Shop. The Piece? The Piecemeal. P-I-E-C-E-M-E-A-L. Piecemeal means as you go. To piecemeal something together, you, you kind of just pull it as you go. I don't want to tell your story for you, but you yeah. had told me, as as this kind of be started becoming a, a bigger thing, mm-hmm. somebody reached out to you with a letter. Yes. Can you share that story? Yes, I can. Um so as you go is piecemeal. We have I have a, a, a an area of the piecemeal shop called as they were. A friend of mine, Nikki from Nashville, she uh, I wanted to be her in the dance world when I was little, and she's such a light. She's a mother of four here in in, in Nashville. Her husband is a uh, a lawyer, but he was she raised most of her children while he was out in Afghanistan. So she alone is just awesome. She and I have reconnected over the years, and she. I was talking to her about some things I was making for the piecemeal shop over Christmas and how I'd use someone, someone else's handwriting to make something. And Nikki said, oh, I want to do that. Maybe for some things, could you do it before you go on your trip pretty soon? And I said, yeah, sure, to send me a, a little, um, make sure that it's on white paper with a black Sharpie, like so that the contrast is really easy. It'll make it quicker because this is a quick turnaround. Sure. So later on, I get a thing from her and it is like, it says Merry Christmas, which she says she was going to say something else. So we're already off on the wrong foot. It said something else. And it was like a pen on a sheet of what looked like masking tape. And it was like two pieces of tape. And I was like, Nikki, honey, we have not been communicating well because I'm pretty sure I said everything opposite. And she said, oh, no, that's my mom's handwriting. And I was like, oh, her mother died 16 years ago on Christmas Day. And her mother was her, I mean, her everything, just like mine is. So she found, she she was like later than she said to get it to me. And that is why she was rummaging for her mom's handwriting. Um, how, how badly did I feel in this moment? Oh my gosh. Um, so she said, this is my mom's handwriting. And I immediately went to work. You can see it on the, uh, the before and the after. And, and I feel like it's really important to do that, to see like the memory. On the website. Yeah, on, on the website. website. Yeah. But... I also asked Nikki to write a little thing about, um, they call her Berta. So how, what did you put that on? An apron and some tea towels. You can see the apron because I didn't take photos before I dropped it off for the first one. But I, she asked me for an apron. So it's her mother's handwriting on an apron for Christmas. But she made tea towels for all of her mom's like sisters and, and um, 
whoever the people were in her family that she was giving it to at, at a Christmas dinner. What an awesome, yeah, awesome concept. That's great. That is how peace and love works. Yeah. It's literally things happen as you go yeah. and you take the opportunity. That is success. Love it. That's great. Well, Ashley, I just I thank you so much for taking some time out. Obviously, you're very busy, so I appreciate it. And thank you for sharing your story. Anytime. There's so much to digest in her story. Could you hear that, that pain as she relived those moments of not being able to be herself? If I could leave you with one reminder, that would be this. Your uniqueness is your identity. Your uniqueness is your identity. Don't lose it. To be noticed in a crowd, you have to be different from everyone else. So be different. There's this quote that I love that says, don't change so that people will like you. Be yourself and the right people will love you. So be who God made you to be. Be silly, be fun, be crazy. Just be you because life is too short to be anything but happy. I wanted to take a quick moment and let you know that I've been doing daily Instagram stories with some behind the scenes videos to give you a little sneak peek into my life. And love to have you come join me on Instagram. That is at HTF successfully, which obviously is short for how to fail successfully. HTF successfully. Shoot me a message when you do, and I'd love to say hi. If you've been following my stories, you'll see that I'm currently in the middle of writing music for a new TV pilot, which has been taking up a big chunk of my time. And so instead of going out and, and finding people to interview and have those conversations and do all the editing, I've decided that I'm going to spend the next two weeks and share my story with you. I'm going to share with you a few of my large failures and how they helped shape me and bring me to where I am today. That's next week. I'll see you then. Round two, coming right back up. Yes. After this break. No. No. <laughs> okay. We're already at an hour. I don't want to do a round two. <laughs> People are going to stop listening. They're going to unsubscribe. Oh. <laughs>